0: Welcome back, Masters of the multi use My name is Gar Punnett, Chief Impact Officer here at Reapley. Yes, it's been a while, I know, um, we're, but we've we've had a lot of cool things going on here at Reapley and uh, lots of cool projects in order that we'll be announcing more of. One of the big announcements was actually our recent acquisition of the Materials Marketplace. If you'd like to learn more, please check out our website because we have a lot of cool things probably coming to a city near you um, within the next year. Otherwise, that's not what today's podcast is about. We actually get to talk to Nina from Trove. Um, We have a great conversation about the re-commerce market um, and the growth that Trove has seen, thanks in part to really her leadership in the retail and fashion industry. Uh, You're really gonna love this one. I had a great time and she makes my job very easy because she's so knowledgeable and engaging. So enjoy. With that, we get to hop right in to our conversation with Nina. Nina, could you introduce yourself and, and explain again who you are, where you are, and which organization coming from, and, and what you've been working on?
1: Yeah, absolutely. My name is Nina Ahuja. I'm the head of business development at Trove. Uh, We are a re-commerce company. uh, And what we do is enable the brands that you know and love um, to be able to have a fully scalable and profitable re-commerce channel. So we call it our operating system. Um, So we provide both the technology and operations to uh, retail companies to be able to have this fully functioning third channel.
0: So what I love about this podcast, again, is I understand all of the language used in there, but we get to start with what does it mean? Which favorite brands do we get to picture as we talk about these systems?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, Trove is not consumer-facing. We're a B2B company. So the way that you as a consumer are interacting with us is every time you shop Patagonia Wornwear or REI Resupply or Onward um, by Onrunning, which just launched, or Allbirds Rerun or Lululemon Like New, um, you are actually shopping the technology operating system provided by Trove to these brands to be able to power their circular economy.
0: And so that's a big differentiation in the market because what you're saying is you've got technology that helps enable those brands to connect that re-commerce element to their consumers. But then the operations behind that is also huge. Can you talk a little bit about how, uh, what the operations mean to that total picture?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So You know, brands are in the business right now of selling items once, not necessarily getting those items back into their ecosystem. And we, you know, see retail profitability and the economic model today as brands make stuff and then they make money off of that stuff. Uh, What we're really trying to understand is how can we have economic growth without producing new items? Because that's really where the climate change effects are happening is actually in production of new items. So the way we think about it is to say, okay, we're going to actually retrofit this model uh, to include a circular component where we're bringing items back into their ecosystem. So what that actually means on a tactical level from an operations perspective is saying, all right, we're going to scale your resale strategy by creating this new profit center. We're going to help you get items back that are already out there in the world that you've made once. Uh, and then we're going to actually identify that item, grade its condition and merchandise it in a way that your consumers who shop your e-commerce experience are going to shop your re commerce experience. And it feels exactly the same.
0: I I love that. So then you've also gone, y'all have sort of been strategically placing yourselves along with brands where they get to now offer take back in retail, um, which is huge. Can you talk a little bit about like how important that is for someone to bring something back to that brand that they love and say, hey, I no longer want this and establish sort of that take back relationship?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we call it trade-in. And I think, you know, if we take a step back in retail, we talk a lot about omni-channel. The last 15 years, the buzzword has been around omni-channel, right? Meeting consumers where they are. And I think finally, retailers are coming to the table and saying, okay, you know, consumers are actually shopping pre-loved items at a scale that they've never been able to shop for before, right? And a lot of that comes from economic volatility, demand, et cetera. And so without the ability to leverage that entire omni-channel, a resale channel at scale, can't be achieved. So we need to actually tap into all of these different touch points retailers already have with their consumers. And so when we're thinking about trade-in, uh, what we're used to seeing in resale going back to pre-currency, right? Bartering is is and shopping for, for used items is something that humans have always done. Um, so when we think about trade-in in today's actual interactions with retailers, we often think about it as a seller. When you want to go sell a pair of shoes that you're no longer wearing, you go to a marketplace like eBay or to Craigslist. You list your items. So, one buys it and then you make money. What we're trying to redefine is to say your consumers as a brand or your consumers, no matter what kind of touch point they're coming to you for, it's just an inter additional interaction. And so in these additional interactions, rather than a circle We think about it more as an infinity loop because you're creating these new types of um, conversations with your customer. And so they're coming in to trade in that item, but they don't need to be a seller to you. They're still a consumer. So they're getting a gift card right away because that instant gratification is them being your consumer first. And so they're able to trade in their item either digitally or in store using our technology. Um, and then we're able to assign that gift card in under three minutes. So if you go to a Lululemon store right now, you can do this in all 420 of their locations across the country. Um, and it's really exciting to be able to see because it's bringing people back into stores, but more importantly, it's giving them the ability to trade in and trade up and interact with the brand in a way that they've never done before.
0: Now, as you're talking about omni-channel, that's all about establishing multiple connection and touch points with a consumer. Why is that so important when, uh, well, frankly, when a consumer's closet is changing? Um, what does that meant for e-commerce? Why is that so important for Trove Is sort of establishing, again, as consumer trends are changing, it's important to be right there with that consumer?
1: Yeah, so I think there's a a couple of different dynamics that we're talking about here, right? One thing that you mentioned is that consumers' closets are changing, and actually what we know is that On average, Americans are purchasing over 64 items a year, which is huge compared to years prior. Um, So this idea of consumption is at a height that we've never quite seen before. But that means there's a lot more stuff sitting in people's closets. So the way that we're thinking about it from a brand perspective is, you know what, especially during COVID, this came up a lot. Supply chains are very volatile right now, given the last couple of years um, and the unpredictability of the future. And so when we're thinking about this, how do we start shifting our mindset to say all of these closets are part of the supply chain? That is millions of SKUs that have been untapped. The real challenge for retailers is to say not, not just how do we get it back, it's how do we identify the item? So I'll give you an example. We manage catalogs for over 2,200 brands because of our multi-brand retailers, that means that there's tens of millions of unique identities assigned to each item that's in circulation. And each of those unique identities are based on sources and conditions that determines its price. So we use machine learning algorithms for that. But one of the hardest things in re-commerce is really knowing what something is, right? If you have that many pieces in your closet and you're going back to your retailer, how am I supposed to tell what it is? If it's missing tags, if there's not an exact catalog match, And then how am I supposed to understand what to do with this item? So we're trying to build and we have built the technology that makes it possible to identify those items and sell all this previously unsellable goods in retail. And this, I think, is an unknown fact uh, if you're not in the industry, but few catalogs only go back so far, right? Because if you think about a brand like Nike, how many thousands of items over the last few decades do they have, right? So managing an active catalog that encompasses every single style, color, and size is incredibly difficult. That's a huge amount of data. And so they often don't maintain 40 years worth of catalog data. They only maintain two to five years on average for a retail company that size. And so when you're looking at these options online and you're shopping recall, and you see, oh, this company's only accepting things in their SKU catalog, they're only really talking about 10% of their total inventory, only the stuff from the last two to five years. But we know there's so much more there. So how do you take all of that stuff and make it sellable again is really the challenge.
0: And then culturally, again, the importance of in those, almost the, the deep grails that are available in the, in those items that are maybe 30 years old, there's so much value locked in those items now um, for those that, that care about diversifying their closet, creating more reuse opportunities in their closet, but then also really embracing that, uh, again, that, that antique almost at this point, that, that item that was that was created 30 years ago.
1: Oh, 100 percent. And I think, you know, as we see different verticals of retail industry participating in this, it really started with, you know, the outdoor sustainably minded brands like Patagonia and REI, who really blaze the trail for other retailers. But, you know, we're now seeing finally um, luxury getting on board. They have the highest customer adoption yes. in the world. And the lowest brand participation. There's a huge opportunity for luxury brands here, because why? It's the Hermes theory, right? Birkins are way more valuable on the secondhand market, um, and so you know when we think about these vintage collections coming back and all of these really special items that are in really high demand and really low supply, you would much rather buy that from Gucci itself, right? Than go to a a secondhand retailer or a marketplace because you trust that brand, you trust that they're authenticating it right. It's the same reason you'd rather go buy a Mercedes Benz pre authorized from a dealer rather than somebody's driveway. You might pay a little bit of a premium, but you're getting all the bells and whistles, and you know that thing is going to drive you home. Yeah,
0: I, I love that example again because we're seeing actually some similarities in Reapley's industry where we are working more on the uh, the actual fixtures and furniture that we see on the B two B end, um, yeah. and and again that that, that idea of pre authorized, pre certified, certified circular um, could even be really powerful for some of these brands that we're working with on our end. Um, Tell me
1: a little bit, and I'm going to ask you a
0: question. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Tell me a little bit about certified circular. What does that mean in your in your space?
0: Yeah, I mean for us, this is this is coming down to um, significant manufacturers who their whole business models have been built around linear production. So not too different than what we've got on the consumer model. But what we have is an entire industry, um, and industries plural, built on really finding success in those secondary markets, but largely secondary markets that have left the original manufacturers out of the game. Um, And so how do we actually start thinking about incorporating those manufacturers? Because that's the only way that we're going to get reuse. Um, and, and a lot of that re-commerce on our end to actually take at scale as if we involve those manufacturers. So That's thank great. you. I like
1: the, the move from linear, I it, think is a really exactly, important bit. Exactly.
0: exactly. And so thank you for being uh, one of the, I think the first people to ask me a question on this podcast. I so appreciate that. Um, to speak about the industry that we find ourselves in, re-commerce, Reuse, uh, resale, however we want to define it. But again, focused on moving sustainability metrics, moving consumption metrics to the path of circular economy. How did you find yourself in this industry? You don't have the same path as, as many.
1: Yeah, I think that's a a great question. I mean, I would certainly say it's not linear for me either. So in line with that theme, um, I actually got into retail because while I was studying my undergrad in economics at Columbia, I was lucky enough to be in New York. um, And so I had a lot of retailers down the street from me and I was writing my senior thesis on the economic power of spending um, and how it's really divided by gender. And so when you look at you know, GDP spend across women and men in the United States over the past couple of decades, you realize there is this massive split in the kinds of spend at what stage in life, et cetera. And so when you dig a little bit deeper, retail plays a huge psychological component to that. And I found this fascinating because especially in luxury goods specifically, you know, there's certain indicators that people really attach to. What is this hold that a Chanel CC logo has on us? And, you know, why do we create so much psychological importance around that? And so in digging deeper, I actually, uh, in writing my thesis, interviewed a bunch of executives at Chanel, um, at the end of, uh, my thesis and, and actually defending it and graduating, one of them offered to hire me. And I said, you know what? I thought I was going to go to wall street, but I just look so much cooler in these clothes. <laughs> so- I'm going to go strategy and, um, and financial planning. So that's how I started my career, was at Chanel um, in the New York office. I quickly moved into a strategy role at Saxoph Avenue. So I've always been in this world of luxury goods, trying to understand the economics and the financial impact that you know, it really has. And what does the model look like? Um, from there, I spent about eight years uh, as an associate partner at Kurt Solman, which is a boutique retail consulting firm. So that really means, again, a lot of buzzwords. But what I really did on a regular basis this was talk to global CEOs around transforming their operating models. And so, you know, transforming a $40 billion brand is not easy and it takes a very long time. And so when consumption is changing so rapidly in the world, how retailers are changing their internal models to meet those needs very quickly is a complicated structure. And so I would spend a lot of time thinking around how do we problem solve that and then actually implement it and bring it to life in short time frames. Um, One of the, the pieces of work that I really got into during COVID was around ESG models you know, how do companies really think about their diversity, equity, inclusion strategy, their sustainability strategies, or circular strategies, and all these things are related. Um, and so we're really thinking about how are you supposed to define ESG? What measures of success really exist in the world? It's a very complicated notion. And a lot of times I think the problem is companies think about it as a cost center, totally. but it doesn't have to be, That's you know, right. you always think about this as a Pain to the bottom line. But ultimately, I really wanted to think about this as a way of, you know, adding to your brand. How do we have a merge and accretive brand accretive solution to this? And I was getting really frustrated because I didn't find the right solution for the companies I was working, working with. And I often think of, I don't know if you've ever heard of Brian Stevenson. He's the famed lawyer who's the equal justice initiative. Highly recommend watching his Stanford commencement speech from a couple of years ago. It changed my life. That will be the next Um, thing I
0: watch after this.
1: Yeah, please do. Uh, This is like an ad for Brian Stevenson, but he's a really, really not only amazing lawyer, but a civil rights activist. And one of the things, and I'll do a terrible job of paraphrasing, but he talks a lot about how changing systems, is very difficult because humans are imperfect. And, you know, there's two ways of going about changing massive systems that are in existence. One is doing the hard work of changing hearts and minds, convincing people to think differently, which takes decades. That is the John Lewis theory, right? It's a huge long arc to be able to do that. And the second is to create solutions that force people based on their own incentives to change their behavior without necessarily them knowing because they're meeting their own incentives. And this is the kind of loop on the outside that I was really interested in getting involved with. And when I started talking to Andy, who's our founder at Trove, I realized, okay, I think this is it because what we're doing is trying to create a profitable way for companies to be incented on circularity. Ultimately, going back to that economic model, producing more shit, means I can sell more shit, which means I get more revenue. And that's what we've been existing in retail for, you know, as long as I can remember. And so changing that model to say, wait a second, I can actually just reacquire the high quality items that I made at one point, and then I can gain economic revenue from that. It aligns to a lot of financial incentives for retailers right now. And And it actually gains their sustainability goals as well. So I think there is this nexus point that we can find in retail where you can do this at scale in a profitable way.
0: What's that original hesitation? Is it cannibalization of net new sales? Is it, um, you know, complication, just changing their systems or changing the status quo? What have y'all heard the most often? Or is it just all the above?
1: It's really fucking hard.
0: Yeah, okay, yeah. (laughs) That, that checks out. Uh, we, we know a little bit about that on our end. Yeah.
1: But yeah, you know this better than anybody taking a lot of stuff and figuring out what it is, is impossible. Yeah. And, you know, it's really hard to do yourself. I mean, any retail company will tell you this, but uh, even getting returns back from their own brand is such a pain in the butt. And so being able to do that for years worth of inventory, they know is going to take so much operational space in their warehouse house labor actual technology and to build that entire system yourself is incredibly difficult it's why we're doing this for brands because we know that you know those who try it themselves there's great examples of this coach Reloved is one of my favorite examples they actually did a really great job you know you go to that site and you're like wow they really took the time to think about the recycling aspect the upcycling aspect the reuse of some of these items but you know having a team to actually do that means that they can only sell 500 items a month or whatever it may be. You're not able to do it in millions of items. You know, last year we processed over a million items for REI alone. And so Mm -hmm. when you're thinking about doing this at scale, that is a completely different ballgame and you need help because you need to understand what that operating system looks like from both a tech and physical operations perspective. And it's really hard to build that from scratch.
0: Um, What are we not seeing in the industry a little bit? I mean, there's, this is a a a growing topic it's getting really hot um or has actually has been over the last two years so anybody catching up i mean really look into re-commerce look into trove um see the, all the success that has come there are lots of different systems popping up um some yeah. might be stronger than others um what do y'all see in terms of you know uh hopefully no greenwashing out there but um uh, you know What's where Where do we find the strength? What, what do we find in terms of what's actually being done or what's being just talked about?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. I will split that up into two different answers because I think that there is an industry perspective on this and there's a consumer perspective. So I'm going to start yeah. with consumers because ultimately that's what we all are. It's why we're all interested in this space. Um, from a consumer perspective, we're seeing a lot of Um, rhetoric being thrown, marketing materials, words, re-commerce, circular. Um, And so I think it's really confusing. Like even as a consumer and I work in this industry, I'm like, wait, what the heck is this like you know, eco-friendly green material? Is it recycled thread? Is it like, where is this coming from? I don't understand what's going on when I'm shopping. There's like a million tags on everything. And so actually caring. I love this that they came out and they actually um, are pushing their brands to take out a lot of that verbiage from their advertisements. Cause they're like, we're going to be upfront about what we're doing. Super transparent around sustainability no more green, anything, no more using the words eco-friendly. They're just being very transparent around where their stuff comes from, where it's going. And I love that direction. Cause no, I think if,
0: you, we yeah, that. if you removed all of that language, it can elevate the whole conversation. hundred uh, percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Like just tell people what's in the cake that they're eating, you yes, know, and I yes. think it would be a better experience for them. And so, you know, the other component of that is the actual shopping experience. Everybody has some sort of circular program. But as a consumer, what does that actually mean when I'm going to your website? And, you know, if I go right now um, to, let's say, for example, you know, Madewell X Thread Up, and I'm looking at their resale site and I click on denim, all I see are jeans, jeans, jeans and jeans. And it's really hard for me to shop for Three hundred pair of items on an e-commerce site that just say jeans. Like I can't tell what the difference is. What are the fits, etc. And so it's on a product listing page, right? So when you see those four items yeah. in every row and you're scrolling, um, and so for me, the question is, how can we actually articulate that e-commerce experience that I'm so used to seeing from the brands I love on their own pages? Which is why we focus so heavily on merchandising the re-commerce site to feel like an e-com site. So is it stacked? Can I filter based on my size? Am I looking at certain colors? I'm not just shopping for a pair of leggings from Lululemon. I'm shopping for the Align leggings in dove gray in a size eight. Like I know exactly what I want. Can I go into that treasure, you know, hunt and sort of find it?
0: And not have to be, uh, not have the, almost the shopping anxiety associated associated with, oh, wait, there's 16 versions of this that I think I'm looking for. And now it's like, oh, hey, I'm just going to stop because I'm intimidated by this process of filtering. Um, it's
1: exactly, it's yeah. the same idea as like, if you're going to go, you know, shop in a thrift store, you need an hour right. to actually right. go. Cause you have no idea what you're going to find and you have to try stuff on. Yes, That's the, not the experience that we're trying to replicate online. Yes. We right. want you to have the same experiences when you are shopping online at your favorite retailers and you know exactly what you want and you want to pick it up.
0: Yep. So again, the whole point modeling what does the consumer want? What do they want? We don't want to change their experience. We just want to, we want to give them exactly what they're looking for, which is they want to change their closet. They want it to be filled with more more reused items, um, pre-loved items, however we want to market it. And then uh, we just want to meet them where they're at and not try to, convert them over to a different way of thinking of their shopping experience.
1: Yeah, and they want brand authenticity. Right, right. They want information about their items, so all that rich catalog data that you have about, you know, the way it's made, the materials, the care. Um they want the the flashy photography that they're used to seeing from your site at a really elevated level. Right. And they want the actual UX of an e-commerce site. They want stacked pdps they want um you know condition grade information they want filtering and sorting all of that stuff that you're just used to it natively being there when you shop online yes yes absolutely To go back to your question that you first asked me about about the interesting stuff that's happening right now in the market um you know that's more of a consumption perspective as a consumer i really care about that but as somebody who's you know working in this space I have a lot of opinions about this. You don't seem short of
0: opinions, so yes.
1: Hot take time. Hot take time. Look. Last year, um, and I actually think this is from a, uh, from a study um, done in conjunction with VCG, but there was a lot of reporting based on how many providers are there out in re-commerce. Um, and last year, I think that it was around 30-ish uh, in the landscape. And up I know, reported on this too. This year, it's over 140 providers. There's like, you know, a boom explosion, which is good, because I do think in some senses, you know, the rising tide helps all boats. Finally, we're seeing enough VC money enough investment in this space this is becoming a real aspect of retail that's great it's adding a ton of validity and credibility to resale um on the downside of that boom we have a lot of nonsense a lot of gray area around the totally. aspect the marketing um you know and i i always want to play double's advocate i do think there's something to be said for progress not perfection Um, You know, we having retailers try it all is better than not trying. And I have that is 100 percent true. Um, You know, we need to get people talking about this, about how production is damaging to the environment, about how we can keep items in use. At the same time we have to look at brands holistically we know gen z and millennial shoppers care about values from the brands that they shop with and now it's that's bleeding into other generations too we're all starting to care a little bit more and so when we're actually looking at the values brands represent i want to see you put your money where your mouth is how are you actually going in and looking at your carbon emissions from your production, from your supply chain. Are you actually putting enough new items in use? Or is this a marketing campaign because you dropped 15 vintage items? That to me is not circular. That's you bringing back something interesting and you have a a great marketing story around it, which can definitely help your bottom line, but it's certainly not a sustainability effort. And, you know, we talk a lot about recent launches that have happened this week alone. I mean, it's so interesting to see a brand like Shein, which is the height of fast fashion in so many ways, you know, get this insane valuation um, and then start a circular program. But at the same time, the cut released an expose this morning or yesterday morning, excuse me, around, you know, the, the undercover cams that went in there and discussing all the human rights violations going on. Um, and I just think, wow, like, should we be shopping for companies that are saying they're doing great things for the environment? No. But are not even paying, you know, their workers appropriately, and and have massive issues when we think about the way they're treating humans in the world. So I think there's certainly, you know. Uh, a, a conversation to be had every single time you see one of these launches to actually it's on on the onus is really on us to be able to dig in and say we're so glad you're participating as consumers let's figure out exactly what participation means and i think we're going to see the market start having opinions and measurements around what good looks like in this space we need some structure to talk about it and say okay from a consumption perspective how are you merchandising to your consumers what's the ux you're providing how does your experience actually look and feel second part is it omnichannel are you you know meeting consumers where they are in stores online is there trade in is there a resale what aspects are you actually pulling on and then the third is you know how much waste savings and carbon emission savings are you actually measuring are you measuring it on a transaction level are you what does that look like compared to your baseline when your shoppers are shopping new and and what is that actually doing for the world so i think it's important to look at both when we're actually measuring the success of these programs
0: i, I love it and and i think there's so much less so many lessons learned uh in diving deeper into these consumer programs, um, so that when people are noticing, oh my gosh, my, this brand I like has this type of program. Well, you can go some one level deeper and see how it's working. See if it's real. Um, I think that's, that's huge for anyone that's listening. Um, well, thank you for joining us. Any last word, um, on the state of the industry, what you're excited for, for the industry, um, what's coming up next for either you personally or Trove, what do we, what can you leave us with?
1: Yeah, that's a huge question with a lot of answers. I'm
0: sure, so yes.
1: I, will, I will say this. I mean, from a industry perspective, I'm so excited to be able to have this conversation. You know, I remember we were at Circularity 22 earlier this year together, and just seeing the amount of conversations and retailers showing up yes. is so exciting to me that we're finally having these conversations. And the thing that I really want to see in the future is more interaction between sustainability and diversity and inclusion. On a personal level, especially as a woman of color, I think these two things are inextricably related. When you care about the world you tend to care about humans as well and you know we've seen so much progress in both spaces that I'm excited to see all of this come together in a larger ESG umbrella as time goes on because I think finally consumers are pushing companies to really be transparent about their policies with the world and with their workers and with their consumers and then you know from a personal level uh, at trove I'm super excited to be launching our first um you know luxury brand that's Coming to market in Q1 of next year, and to see more luxury participation in this environment, I like consumers have been participating in it forever. So it's time for brands to really step up too. I,
0: I liked that you left the uh, luxury brand uh, anonymous, and for us to uh, <laughs> it, be, be excited for in the future. Um, so uh, excellent. I think you're exactly right. I you know my one of my favorite parts about the industry that we find ourselves uh, with sustainability and circular economy is a lot of women. Um, but there need to be more, um, more talented individuals that are coming from backgrounds that are not mine. Um, and I think that's the exciting part about our industry and something that you've get to pioneer, which is, um, get out of, don't go to banking. Don't go to, you know, don't go to wealth (laughs) management, jump into something that's a little more interesting and something that's going to be really pioneering. And you can be a defining voice like Nina. So, um, Thank you, Nina. Um, we'll uh, we'll be seeing you soon, hopefully again at Circularity once again, um, or uh, or another conference coming up. Um, thank you so much for the time today.
1: Absolutely, thank you. Talk
0: soon. Of-